discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Greetings and salutations, everybody. Tonight, I have yet again another very special episode for you, another update to one of my series, and this time around, folks, a very special update and an official addition to my most popular and critically acclaimed series to date. And if you don't know what that is, I'll give you a hint. You gotta wear a mask, bro. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Rugged. Fast Company reports, officials in Halmstad Municipality, Sweden, recently forced a teacher to remove their mask and prohibited the use of masks and all forms of PPE in schools. The municipality said there was no scientific evidence for wearing masks, citing the Swedish Public Health Agency. At the time, Agency Guided stated that there were quote-unquote great risks that masks would be used incorrectly. This guidance has since been removed. To someone unfamiliar with the Swedish response to COVID-19, this mask ban might sound shocking. After all, while masks are not foolproof, there is evidence that indicates that they do help reduce the spread of COVID-19, especially in situations where maintaining distance is impossible, such as schools. The municipality eventually backed down. But new examples of mask bans keep popping up in Sweden. Librarians in the affluent town of Kungsbaka, for example, have been instructed not to wear masks. How on earth did we end up in this situation? Everything the Halmstad and Kungsbaka officials have said about masks is in line with the Swedish Public Health Agency's statements. These local mask bans are a logical product of nine months of consistent anti-mask statements by the Swedish state, which we argue is an example of poor risk communication. Outside of Sweden, most Europeans are now used to wearing masks indoors, whether in the supermarket, on public transport, or when visiting the doctor. It has become such an ingrained habit that we can easily forget that for the first months of the COVID-19 pandemic, many of us were not wearing masks at all. In those early days, the main message was the rather simple 
example, wash your hands, and the rather more difficult, don't touch your face. The European Center for Disease Control first recommended the public use of masks as early as April, though it was not until June that the World Health Organization followed suit. England waited until July, and finally, in August, Norway, Denmark, and Finland brought in mask requirements. Sweden, as we have seen, chose a different path. The Swedish Public Health Agency has consistently stated that masks are ineffective and that their use could actually increase the spread of COVID-19, a common view at the beginning of the pandemic, but a rare one now. In July, the health minister, Lena Hallingren, explained that the Swedish government did not have a culture or tradition of making decisions about protective clothing such as masks, and that her government would not overrule the public health agency. Sweden's mask policy even went beyond its national borders into international anti-mask activism. In April, the country's chief epidemiologist, Anders Tegnell, wrote an email to the European Center for Disease Control, which happens to be based in Stockholm, warning it not to recommend the use of masks. The reasoning was that this, quote, implies the spread is airborne, which would seriously harm further communication and trust. End quote. How did we get here? Back in spring 2020, when SARS-CoV-2 was still a new and poorly understood virus, the Swedish communication around COVID-19 was a simple and consistent tripartite mantra. Wash your hands, keep distance, stay home if you are sick. This will be familiar to people in many other countries and is a textbook example of effective risk communication, which should be clear, straightforward, and easy to act upon. The WHO guidelines for effective risk communication in public health crises emphasize that uncertainties should be explicitly stated, that the information is consistent and easy to understand, and that the messaging contains specific and realistic recommended actions. The initial stages of Swedish risk communication ticked two of these boxes while failing to communicate uncertainty, which was the case in many countries that also chose very simple messages. As scientific understanding of the virus developed, however, the Swedish risk communication around masks did not change. In August, for example, when mask wearing was becoming widespread in other European countries, Tegnell said that the evidence for mask wearing was quote-unquote astonishingly weak and that their use could increase the spread of the virus. Swedish authorities maintained their anti-mask position until December, when the Prime Minister Stefan Lofven announced a U-turn on the use of masks on public transport. But Lofven's new policy was not a simple rule to wear masks when traveling. Instead, it recommends the use of masks from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. for those born in the year 2004 and before who do not have a reserved seat. If this sounds overly complicated, that's because it is. It is perhaps unsurprising then that compliance has been low, with only half of commuters actually wearing masks during rush hour. And it's not just the general public. Two weeks after the recommendation was introduced, the director of Sweden's public health agency, Johan Carlson, was spotted without a mask on a bus during rush hour. When he asked about his failure to comply with his own recommendations, he said, quote, I simply failed to notice that the time had become commuting time, end quote, which nicely illustrates the problem with overly complex risk communication. If the head of the public health agency is incapable of following his own rules, one can hardly blame the public for their lack of compliance. At the start of the pandemic, the Swedish government's initial risk communication, the tripartite mantra, was straightforward 
and easy to understand. But by December, authorities had been warning of the risks of mask wearing for months. So the public transport announcement was not only confusing due to its complexity, but also due to the fact that its content directly contradicts the mask guidance from March until December. In this context, it's no wonder that libraries and schools in Sweden are sending mixed messages about whether people should wear masks. It's the product of months of bad risk communication on a simple public health measure that has been widely adopted elsewhere. This failure to communicate could have very worrying results, potentially increased infection in a country that is on the brink of a third wave. Fastcompany.com Of course, Sweden isn't the only country who's been dealing with mixed messages concerning face masks and how well they do or do not protect against disease. And in fact also, I should point out, that this is nothing new. Not that long ago, the world was dealing with an earlier version of basically what we're facing today, and that would be SARS. So what did they think about face masks back then? As reported by the Sydney Morning Herald 17 years ago on April 27th, 2003, retailers who cash in on community fears about SARS by exaggerating the health benefits of surgical masks could face fines of up to $110,000. NSW Fair Trading Minister Reba Meager yesterday warned that distributors and traders could be prosecuted if it was suggested the masks offered unrealistic levels of protection from the disease. Miss Meager said, quote, I'm sure everyone would agree that it is un-Australian to profiteer from people's fears and anxieties. There appears to be some debate about whether surgical masks are able to minimize the effects of SARS, end quote. Ms. Meager said her department would investigate any complaints about false mask claims which concerned the public. She said, quote, Penalties can range from fines of up to $22,000 for an individual or $110,000 for a corporation, end quote. Health authorities have warned that surgical masks may not be an effective protection against the virus. Professor Yvonne Kosart of the Department of Infectious Diseases at the University of Sydney said, quote, Those masks are only only effective so long as they are dry. As soon as they become saturated with the moisture in your breath, they stop doing their job and pass on the droplets." End quote. Professor Cosart said that could take as little as 15 or 20 minutes, after which the mask would need to be changed. But those warnings haven't stopped people snapping up the masks, with retailers reporting they are having trouble keeping up with demand. John Bell from the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia, who owns a pharmacy in Woolara, Sydney, said mask supplies were running low. Quote, At the moment, we don't have any because we haven't been able to get any in the last few days. In the early stages, it was unbelievable. We'd get people coming in all the time. End quote. Mr. Bell agreed with Professor Kosart's assessment regarding the effectiveness of the masks. He said, quote, I think they're of marginal benefit. In a way, they give some comfort to people who think they're doing as much as they can do to prevent the infection, end quote. That seems to be the mentality of travelers to Asian destinations who are buying and wearing the masks while overseas. Rosemary Taylor of Kirribilli arrived in Sydney from Shanghai last week after a two-week holiday in China. Miss Taylor and traveling companion Joan Switzer had worn the masks during the trip home, even though they had been worn 
warned they were of little value. Miss Taylor said, quote, We were told you need 16 layers on your mask for it to offer 95% protection. End quote. SMH.com.au Fast forward to the year 2020, back when all of this current pandemic began. And here in the United States, we were getting tons of mixed messaging too. As reported heavily upon across the first three episodes of the Don't Mask Me Bro series of The Daily Ruckus. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. It's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings in public settings where other social distancing measures are difficult to maintain. This is voluntary. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. You got to wear a mask, bro. And in case you were wondering why Dr. Fauci and other health experts were recommending at the time to not wear a face mask, well, good old Dr. Fauci has an explanation for that, lest he be accused of being a liar or anything like that. Dr. Fauci, I want to ask you specifically about masks. Now, I'm in South Carolina right now, and there's not a whole lot of people wearing masks. So I want to ask you specifically, can you define for people what the role of masks is? And why were we told to wait? Why were we told later in the spring to wear them when we initially were told not to? Okay, that's a good question. And I'm glad that you asked and to give me the opportunity to clarify it. So let's start with your first question. You know, masks are not 100% protective. However, they certainly are better than not wearing a mask, both to prevent you if you happen to be a person who maybe feels well but has an asymptomatic infection that you don't even know about, to prevent you from infecting someone else. But also, it can protect to a certain degree, not 100%, in protecting you from getting infected from someone who either is breathing or coughing or sneezing or singing or whatever it is in which the droplets or the aerosols go out. So masks work. The important thing is actually physical separation. So physical separation that we talk about all the time is the best way to get a virus not to get to you. But often it's impossible physically, logistically, to be physically separated to the right extent from everyone. And that's the reason why we combine physical separation with a mask, even though a mask is not 100% protective, but it does, give, it does give you some protection. So you shouldn't discount that. Now, getting back to your first question, which was what about months or so or two or three ago when people were saying, you don't really need to wear a mask? Well, the reason for that is that we were concerned, the public health community, and many people were saying this, were concerned that it was at a time when personal protective equipment, including the N95 masks and the surgical masks, were in very short supply. And we wanted to make sure that the people, namely the healthcare workers, who were brave enough to put themselves in a harm ways to take care of people who you know were infected with the coronavirus and the danger of them getting infected, we did not want them to be without the equipment that they needed. So there was not enthusiasm about going out and everybody buying a mask or getting a mask. We were afraid that that would deter away from the people who really needed it. Now we have masks. We know that you don't need an N95 if you're a person, ordinary person in the street. We also know that simple cloth coverings that many people have can work as well as a mask in many cases. So right now, unequivocally, the recommendation is when you're out there, particularly if you're in a situation where there's active infection, keep the distance physically and wear a mask. 
So although there appeared to be some contradiction of you were saying this then and why are you saying this now, actually the circumstances have changed. That's the reason why. Ah, yeah, because we can trust that guy who gets caught lying all the time and always seems to have some stupid excuse just to cover his ass. Well, you know what they say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But in all seriousness, you would think with such a contentious and important topic of whether or not you should wear face masks, when lives are supposedly on the line, why can't we get some transparency on the issue? Obviously, we won't get that from the mainstream media and from proven liars like Fauci. Luckily, Michael J. Talmo, writing for Global Research, is willing to give us the plain truth about face masks. And on September 27, 2020, he wrote, People have been using masks for a long time. The oldest masks ever found were 9,000 years old. Masks have been used for religious rituals, for fun, in factories to protect against breathing in chemicals and dust particles, for protection against smog, to punish slaves and gossipy wives, to commit crimes, and of course, for Halloween. But the focus of this article will be about the medical use of masks. The bubonic plague recurred in Europe for centuries. In 17th century Europe, doctors who tended plague victims believed that it spread through poisoned air known as miasma that could create an imbalance in a person's bodily fluids or humors. To protect themselves, physicians wore a long coat covered in scented wax, a hat and gloves made of goat leather, and a mask with a six-inch long bird-like beak filled with herbs, cinnamon, myrrh, and perfume, among other things. They also carried a long rod to poke or fend off victims with. Of course, all these silly outfits did was make them look ridiculous. The first doctors to wear a mask in an operating room were Polish surgeon Johann von Mikolz Radecki and French surgeon Paul Berger in 1897. They advocated using masks during surgery due to the findings of German bacteriologist Karl Flug, who discovered pathogenic bacteria in saliva. Back then, surgical masks were made of several layers of gauze. The purpose of the surgical mask was and still is, to prevent respiratory droplets from the physician's nose and mouth from entering a patient's open wound, and to protect the surgeon from sprays and splashes from the patient during an operation. But most doctors refused to go along with Radecki and Berger, so it took many years after that before surgical masks became standard operating room equipment. The first physician to have the lay public wear gauze masks was Chinese doctor Wu Lane Te during the Manchurian Plague of 1910 and 1911, which killed around 63,000 people. This paved the way for some cities in our country to force the general public to wear masks during the 1918 influenza pandemic. It became known as the Spanish flu because the first cases were reported in Spain, but it may not have originated there. Due to World War I, news reporting in many countries was disrupted, unlike Spain, which had remained neutral. The Spanish flu killed between 50 to 100 million worldwide out of a back then global population of 1.8 billion. Time magazine ran a May 1st, 2020 article hinting that forcing people to wear masks 
helped save lives during the 1918 influenza pandemic. Some mask advocates on social media sites like Facebook dogmatically make that claim. The scientific literature disagrees. A May 12, 2020 article published in the peer-reviewed journal Health Affairs emphatically states, quote, experts reviewing the evidence from 1918 concluded that flu masks failed to control infection, end quote. The article goes on to cite a 1919 study by Wilfred H. Kellogg for the California State Board of Health. Quote, mask ordinances applied forcibly to entire communities did not decrease cases and deaths, as confirmed by comparisons of cities with widely divergent policies on masking. End quote. Kellogg concluded, quote, the case against the mask as a measure of compulsory application for the control of epidemics appears to be complete. End quote. Two other studies cited in the article, one from 1918 and another from 1921 reached the same conclusion. Before we get into what modern science has to say about masks, it's important to understand what isn't science. Authoritative statements made by people with MD or PhD after their names is not science. The same goes for celebrities and billionaires. Decrees, directives, and executive orders made by politicians, corporate CEOs, directors of institutions, and public health authorities is not science. They may or may not be telling the truth. You have to check their sources and see if they represent any special interests that could create bias. To blindly believe them because they are so-called experts is to commit the appeal to authority fallacy. A logical fallacy is a mistaken belief based on unsound reasoning. There are two kinds of scientific research, observational and experimental. Statistical correlations and computer modeling used in epidemiological studies are examples of observational science. They can be useful in pointing the way to what needs to be looked at more closely and for quality control regarding treatments in clinical practice. These kinds of studies can often wind up being very inaccurate if used by themselves. The gold standard in science are randomized controlled trials with verified outcomes because they eliminate bias and speculation. For example, hormone replacement therapy. Originally, estrogen therapy was thought to reduce heart attacks. This was based on an observational study. But when a randomized controlled trial or experimental study was done, it showed that estrogen therapy actually increased the risk of a heart attack. To make it simple, compare what I just said with going on a trip. Epidemiological and other observational studies are the travel route randomized controlled trials with verified outcomes are the destination. In the case of masks, some observational epidemiological studies show that they lowered COVID-19 cases and death rates in places that mandate mask wearing as opposed to places that don't. But there are also studies that show the opposite. For example, in Michigan, population 10,045,000, there were very punitive lockdown restrictions and strict mask mandates. In Sweden, population 10,110,405, no punitive lockdown restrictions and no mask mandates. Total COVID-19 deaths in Michigan, 7,019. Total COVID-19 deaths in Sweden, 5,880. One can cherry-pick this kind of data ad nauseum, but it's all speculation. The bottom line question is, do masks block viral particles? Only experimental studies or randomized controlled trials with verified outcomes can 
answer this question by testing the masks directly. Such studies have been done numerous times. One of the most comprehensive studies on masks was done in the United Kingdom in 2008 by the Health Safety Executive, HSE, it's like our OSHA, entitled Evaluating the Protection Afforded by Surgical Masks Against Influenza Bioaerosols. Gross Protection of Surgical Masks Compared to Filtering Face Piece Respirators, N95 Masks. The background, quote, there is a common misconception amongst workers and employers that surgical masks will protect against aerosols. However, surgical masks are not intended to provide protection against infectious aerosols, end quote. Aerosols are very fine particles, much smaller than respiratory droplets, that are suspended in the fluid air for long periods of time and can travel quite far. We release these aerosols through breathing and speaking. They can contain large amounts of pathogenic viruses. The part of our body most vulnerable to them is the respiratory system. In the HSE study, different kinds of masks were tested on a dummy's head, which was exposed to aerosols containing influenza virus particles to see if the masks would filter them out. Influenza virus is supposed to be similar in size to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that supposedly causes COVID-19 from page 21 of the study. Quote, Live infectious virus was extracted in innumerable quantities from the air from behind all the surgical masks tested. This suggests that influenza virus can survive in aerosol particles and bypass slash penetrate a surgical mask and that a residual infectious aerosol hazard may exist. End quote. From page 22, quote, Even if the mask is manufactured from high-efficiency filtering media, a high proportion of particles challenging the surgical mask will enter the breathing zone via breaches in the face seal. Furthermore, a high-efficiency filtration media and fluid-resistant layers are likely to increase breathing resistance. This, together with a poor face fit, will increase the degree of leakage around the face seal." End quote. And from page 23, quote, "...as surgical masks cannot be fitted well to the face, their use may not be adequate for protection against a residual airborne infection hazard." End quote. A June 26, 2019 peer-reviewed study in the Journal of Life and Environmental Sciences titled Optimal Microscopic Study of Surface Morphology and Filtering Efficiency of Face Masks demonstrated that cloth masks are even worse than surgical masks. The background, quote, low-cost face masks made from different cloth materials are very common in developing countries. The cloth masks, CM, are usually double-layered with stretchable ear loops. It is common practice to use such masks for months after multiple washing and drying cycles. If a CM is used for a long time, the ear loops become stretched. The loop needs to be knotted to make the mask loop fit better on the face, end quote. The study's conclusions, quote, filtering efficiency of CM for ambient PM, particulate matter, was poorer than in SM, surgical masks. The poor efficiency was due to the presence of larger sized pores. Our study also demonstrated that the washing and drying cycle deteriorates the filtering efficiency due to change in pore shape and clearance. We also found that stretching of the CM surface alters the pore size and potentially decreases the filtering efficiency. The findings of this study suggest that CM are not effective and that effectiveness 
brightness deteriorates if used after washing and drying cycles and if used under stretched condition, end quote. And what does the CDC recommend? Washing cloth masks. The bottom line? All masks, doesn't matter what kind, have a network of microscopic pores or holes in them. If they didn't, you wouldn't be able to breathe at all. Unlike the 1911 Manchurian plague, which was caused by a bacterial pathogen, respiratory diseases, like the Spanish flu, are caused by viruses. The average size of most bacteria is between 0.2 and 2.0 microns. Viruses are a lot smaller. SARS-CoV-2 is between 0.06 and 0.15 microns, which makes it a lot smaller than the pores in any mask. N95 masks have the smallest pores at 0.3 microns, but viruses don't travel through the air by themselves. They travel via droplets and aerosols, which are larger than the virus, but still small enough to go through the pores in any mask. The larger the pores in the mask, the more particles and droplets will get through. A June 1st, 2020 study from AAPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, reported on the filter efficiency of cloth masks and scarves for microscopic particles ranging in size from 0.02 to 1 microns. Cloth masks 10% to 30%, scarves 10% to 20%. Quote, all of the cloth masks and materials had near zero efficiency at 0.3 microns, a particle size that easily penetrates into the lungs. End quote. The study further reported on the efficiency of 44 surgical masks and N95 respirators for particles ranging in size from 0.08 to 0.22 microns. Quote, N95 FFR filter efficiency was greater than 95%. Medical masks, 55% efficiency. General masks, 38%. End quote. Two things to keep in mind. One viron, cell-free virus particle, is enough to cause infection if it enters into a cell and multiplies. This debunks the assertion that masks are better than nothing because they block some viral particles. Additionally, the CDC does not recommend N95 masks be worn by the general public in order to reserve them for healthcare workers. In order to block at least 95% of infectious viral particles, N95 masks have to be properly fitted to a person's face in a clinical setting. Instead, the CDC recommends that the general public wear cloth masks, which at best filters out only 30% of viral particles. Now I ask you, is this really about public health? Simply stated, wearing any kind of mask to prevent viral diseases is a waste of time. The most thorough and comprehensive kind of scientific study is a systematic review, usually combined with meta-analysis. It sits at the very top of the quote-unquote evidence pyramid. To quote the North Central University Library in Minnesota, quote, a systematic review is a high-level overview of primary research on a particular research question that systematically identifies, selects, evaluates, and synthesizes all high-quality research evidence relevant to that question in order to answer it. In other words, it provides an exhaustive summary of scholarly literature related to a particular research topic or question. A systematic review is often written by a panel of experts after reviewing all the information from both published and unpublished studies. End quote. Numerous systematic reviews have been done on masks. All of them came to the same conclusion. Here are two of them. In the peer-reviewed journal Influenza and Other Respiratory Viruses 2011 study titled The Use of Masks and Respirators to Prevent Transmission of Influenza, a Systematic Review of the Scientific Evidence, they reviewed 17 studies and 
concluded, quote, None of the studies we reviewed established a conclusive relationship between mask respirator use and protection against influenza infection, end quote. The authors go on to say, quote, In conclusion, there is a limited evidence base to support the use of masks and or respirators in healthcare or community settings, end quote. Probably the most comprehensive study ever done was by the peer-reviewed journal Canadian Family Physician, CFP, in July 2020, titled Masks for Prevention of Viral Respiratory Infections Among Healthcare Workers and the Public, Peer Umbrella Systematic Review. This study included 11 systematic reviews and 18 randomized control trials, RCTs, of 26,440 participants. The result, quote, overall the use of masks in the community did not reduce the risk of influenza, confirmed viral respiratory infection, influenza-like illness, or any clinical respiratory infection. The use of masks in community settings in general did not reduce the risk of confirmed influenza or confirmed viral respiratory infection. Results were not statistically significant in any subgroup analysis. Masks worn by all, just the sick person, or just the healthy family members at home. Of the six RCTs examining the use of masks by healthcare workers, only two had a control group assigned to no mask. In these trials, masks did not reduce influenza-like illness, any clinical respiratory infection, or confirmed viral respiratory infection compared with no masks, end quote. And from the discussion, quote, particularly in the community setting, we wanted to see if there was any evidence of benefit from systematic use of masks by the general public outside the home, but we found no such evidence, end quote. <coughs> there you have it, the latest, most up-to-date body of knowledge on masks. Dr. Dennis Rancourt summed it up best in his April 2020 paper called Masks Don't Work, a review of science relevant to COVID-19 social policy, published in ResearchGate. From page 4, quote, No RCT study with verified outcome shows a benefit for healthcare workers or community members in households to wearing a mask or respirator. There is no such study. There are no exceptions, end quote. Nevertheless, politicians, public health authorities, and the media continue to drone on about a growing body of evidence showing that masks worn by the general public are effective. In its June 5th interim guidance on masks, the World Health Organization admits on page 6 that mask use by the general public, quote, is not yet supported by high-quality or direct scientific evidence, end quote. Instead, they assert that, quote, a growing compendium of observational evidence indicates their possible effectiveness, end quote. A July 31st article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, warned that, quote, observational studies might reduce the likelihood of a properly designed trial being performed, thereby delaying the discovery of reliable truth. If leaders, commentators, academics, and clinicians cannot restrain the rush to judgment in the absence of reliable evidence, the proliferation of observational treatment comparisons will hinder the goal of finding effective treatments for COVID-19 and a great many other diseases, end quote. Another factor to consider is the detrimental effects masks have on the people wearing them. Food servers, friends, and people in general have said how much they hate wearing masks, saying that they can't breathe, have headaches, and feel exhausted after working in them all day. Still other people say that wearing a mask doesn't bother them in the least. Inside, 
science, these statements are considered anecdotal. An anecdote is a personal narrative about how someone experiences and perceives something minus any scientific data. Sometimes anecdotal evidence is all we have to go on. When it comes to making decisions in our personal lives, it's usually all we need. Not everything can, nor probably ever will be, answered via the scientific method. But when it comes to government policies, like forcing people to wear masks, socially distance, etc., scientific evidence is a must. We must breathe air to live. Without air, most people would die within three to five minutes. Our nose and mouth were not meant to be obstructed. Obviously, masks obstruct breathing. You don't need science to tell you that. We breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, CO2. Carbon dioxide is a waste product of various metabolic and biochemical processes. Symptoms of not enough oxygen in the blood and tissues, hypoxemia, hypoxia, and too much CO2 in the blood, hypercapnia, include headache, difficulty breathing, coughing, wheezing, dizziness, confusion, inability to concentrate, fatigue, panic, depression, rapid heartbeat, convulsions, hyperventilation, and death. The World Health Organization explicitly says not to exercise with a mask on. The CDC shamelessly tiptoes around the issue by saying that people may not be able to wear a mask while exercising if it causes difficulty breathing. But the CDC does explicitly say that anyone who has trouble breathing should not wear a mask. Also, keep in mind that with a mask on, you're breathing back in bacteria and viruses that you have exhaled, some of your own CO2, any dyes and chemicals in the material the mask is made from, and if you smoke or vape, your own tar and nicotine along with other toxins. Here is what the scientific literature has to say. Taken from a National Taiwan University Hospital 2005 study from the U.S. National Library of Medicine titled The Physiological Impact of N95 Masks on Medical Staff, quote, wearing N95 masks results in hypooxygenemia and hypercapnia, which reduce working efficiency and the ability to make correct decisions, end quote. The study goes on to say, quote, medical staff are at an increased risk of getting severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, and wearing N95 masks is highly recommended worldwide. However, dizziness, headache, and a short of breath are commonly experienced by the medical staff wearing N95 masks, end quote. For the record, SARS only killed 774 people worldwide. A 2008 study on how surgical masks affect surgeons performing operations was published in Neurocirugia, the Journal of the Spanish Society of Neurosurgery, SENEC, entitled Preliminary Report on Surgical Mask Induced Deoxygenation During Major Surgery. The study was conducted on 53 surgeons aged 24 to 55 years old who were all non-smokers without any chronic lung disease. A pulse oximeter was used to evaluate whether their oxygen saturation of hemoglobin was affected by a surgical mask during major operations. From the introduction of the study, quote, surgeons in the operating room frequently experience physical discomfort, fatigue, and possibly even deterioration of surgical judgment and performance. The surgeon beneath the surgical mask is often very inadequately conditioned despite the universal air conditioning standard of operating theaters. Thus, they either wear masks improperly or refrain from using them altogether. As it is known that heat and moisture trapping occur beneath surgical masks, it seems reasonable that some of the exhaled CO2 may also be 
trapped beneath them, inducing a decrease in blood oxygenation." End quote. The results of the study? Quote, oxygen saturation of hemoglobin decreased significantly after the operations in both age groups. End quote. Don't confuse that study with YouTube videos of surgeons and laypeople sticking an oxygen meter tube under a mask they're wearing and coming up with a reading. This is worthless for two reasons. It's not a controlled environment, and oxygen levels in the blood have to be measured at different intervals while wearing the mask. Usually, the laypeople show lower oxygen levels, while the doctors who are pro-mask show no decrease in oxygen levels. But it doesn't matter, because devices like the Altair 5X multi-gas detector that's used in many of these videos weren't designed to measure what's going on inside a face mask. Another problem with masks is that they are virtual breeding grounds for pathogenic microbes. As demonstrated in a 2018 study in the Journal of Orthopedic Translation titled, Surgical Masks as Source of Bacterial Contamination During Operative Procedures. From the study's abstract, quote, This study aimed to investigate whether surgical masks may be a potential source of bacterial shedding, leading to an increased risk of surgical site infection. End quote. Methods, quote, We investigated the difference in bacterial counts between the surgical masks worn by surgeons and those placed unused in the operating room, and the bacterial count variation with indicated wearing time." End quote. The results? Quote, the bacterial count on the surface of the surgical masks increased with extended operating times. Moreover, the bacterial counts were significantly higher among the surgeons than the operating room. Additionally, the bacterial count of the external surface of the second mask was significantly higher than that of the first one. End quote. Their conclusion? Quote, the source of bacterial contamination in surgical masks was the body surface of the surgeons rather than the operating room environment. Moreover, we recommend that that surgeons should change the mask after each operation, especially those beyond two hours." End quote. A 2019 study in BMC infectious diseases yielded similar results measuring viral contaminants. A major factor in pathogenic microbes building up in masks is sweat. And what happens when people walk around wearing masks on hot, humid days? They sweat. To make matters worse, just about everyone doesn't properly wear or clean them. Instead of taking off their masks, people People will be lazy and just wear them around their neck. The CDC explains this will contaminate them, or they'll stuff them in their pockets or purses, or they will drop them on the floor and put them back on their face. A lot of people will wear the mask below their nose, and who can blame them? They want to breathe. Go to the CDC websites, How to Wear Masks, and see if you or anyone else is obsessive-compulsive enough to follow the guidelines listed there. And since most people won't even bother to read the guidelines, much less follow them, Forcing people to wear masks will wind up spreading disease and poor health rather than preventing it. To quote the WHO, quote, sweat can make the mask become wet more quickly, which makes it difficult to breathe and promotes the growth of microorganisms, end quote. Bureaucrats like Anthony Fauci, Deborah Burks, CDC Director Robert Redfield, Surgeon General Jerome Adams, and the World Health Organization know the aforementioned facts. This is why they originally advocated against wearing masks. Don't be conned by Fauci's baloney that he lied due to a shortage of N95 masks. He could have advised the public to wear cloth masks from the beginning. Why didn't he? Why the 180? In a May 27th CNN interview, Fauci said he wants masks 
to be a symbol of what people should be doing, even though it's not 100% effective because it shows respect for another person. An April 1st, 2020 article in the New England Journal of Medicine by three MDs and an RN was even more explicit. Quote, We know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. It is also clear that masks serve symbolic roles. Masks are not only tools, they are also talismans that may help increase healthcare workers' perceived sense of safety. End quote. In other words, masks are worthless. Lots of viral pathogens will always get around and go through any mask. The science proving this hasn't changed. It's the political agenda that has changed. Globalresearch.ca Of course, since that article was written, much more than just the political agenda has changed. In fact, we have a new president. So exactly how does he and the new administration in the White House feel about face masks? Well, to hear all about that and more, that's right, you're gonna have to tune in till next time. I hate to do it to you, but this one's already getting pretty long in the tooth. So please come join me on Friday for the thrilling conclusion, maybe, of Don't Mask Me Bro. I'll see you then, and in the meantime, don't forget. You gotta wear a mask, bro. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Wednesday, February 10, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.